My name is Kiana Hertog, she, her, and um, I serve as the pastor of community life and spiritual formation here at the Southeast Raleigh Table. Um, thank you all for joining in person for worship this morning. And also shout out to, we can all turn and wave at those joining us on Facebook Live. Thank you so much for being here. And also to those who may be listening on our podcast that are being updated. Um, thanks, big shout out to our media team um, for those that are coming out um, real soon. As Lisa mentioned in her grounding practice this morning, um, this Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday, uh, which is a Sunday in uh, the calendar of the church here where we remember a moment of Jesus um, being revealed in glory. And it's February 19th. On this day in 1942, the U.S. government approved Executive Order 9066, which means, um, and this order um, made way for the legal and forced displacement of 122,000 Japanese Americans from their homes in the West Coast to internment camps. 122,000 Japanese Americans, 70,000 of whom were American citizens. And out of the 70,000 citizens, uh, many of whom were children, um, there were two children by the name, one by the name of Kichucho Murakami and the other Jinmo Kaomoto. But I know them better as grandma and grandpa. Today is a really interesting day to hold both of these realities. One, where we remember the story where God says, I will not be contained in a tent. And on the other hand, we remember a day where Japanese Americans were forced into camps. And as we lean into these stories this morning, um, my hope and prayer is that if nothing else, if there's one takeaway, I pray that we in this time might see just a little bit more clearly and feel a little bit more deeply the love of God that doesn't stay separated on some high mountain away from us, but a love of God that extends down the mountain to meet those who are near the ground, to meet us where we are. I invite you to lean into the words of scripture with me. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, who were two Old Testament prophets, there talking with him. Then Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, 
Suddenly, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from heaven, from the cloud, said, This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came to them, touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This story reminds us of a, of a Jesus whose radiance seems to make everything else around him fade away. So I invite us all right now to think of what does radiance and warmth feel like to you? What does radiance and warmth, how does that feel in your body? What memories do you have that bring up these feelings? I invite us to let that warmth breathe into us. Let this warmth embrace you. And with that feeling or image, I invite you to imagine that this warmth is coming from Jesus. The scriptures say that he radiates and shines like the sun. And in this shining, I can almost imagine the warmth being so close that these front row people can feel it. Not much time passes in this story before we hear a voice breaking through the clouds. It's the voice of a parent. It sounds like the voice of a parent rushing to meet their child after their first orchestra concert or soccer game. Proud and filled with delight. This voice sounds like the embrace and tears of celebration after you come home after a long journey. This voice sounds like, this is my beloved son, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Some translations say, in whom I delight. And I find it really interesting that this story takes place in the Gospel of Matthew, and there are 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. But in all of these 28 chapters, the external, audible voice of God only speaks three times that we have recorded. So it's 28 chapters of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, but we only hear the voice of God coming through the clouds three times. And two of them are the same phrase about Jesus' belovedness. Two of the times out of the three, the specific words that God has chosen, these are the most important things that I want to say in this moment of revealing. 
are that Jesus, you are my child. You are beloved. I am well pleased. It seems like these words God has said reveal that some of the most important things to God are love and family. God affirms Jesus' identity before Jesus does all of this stuff down from the mountain. It's before Jesus, is goes, to, Jesus goes to the cross and becomes Savior that before all of this, Jesus' primary identity, the thing that he carries from God, is God's love. And I see two things here. One, yes, that Jesus carries the love of God. But two, God is highlighted as lover. That in this display of Jesus' glory, God chooses to reveal God's self in loving relationships. And while these words are beautiful and the, the clouds have parted, um, the disciples are trembling with fear, the, the story tells us. And they fall to the ground. I imagine their knees hit the dust and the soil. Their palms have dirt smeared on them. All of it, the radiance, the voice from heaven, these two men that seem to be out of place in the wrong testament, what are they doing here? It is all too much for them to make sense of. Peter specifically starts bubbling up with fear, and it spills out in the form of this genius proposal that he makes. You can notice just how awkward it is in this story. It doesn't even make sense. He says, I want to build tents for you. And the commentaries say um, he wants to build permanent dwelling places for them on top of this mountain. But Jesus sees the thing under the th underneath the thing, as Pastor Lisa says. There's always a thing underneath the thing. Um, and Jesus, in the text, goes up to the disciples in their fear. And it says he touches them and says, you don't need to be afraid. Because I'm reminded, as uh, Reverend Dr. Donna Coltrane Battle says, God's love is not a love that harms. So Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid because this glory, this beauty, this voice of God, they're not reaching out to harm you. They're reaching out to love you. But it's so interesting to me that Peter's um, impulse out of his fear is to just do something. It doesn't mean that his doing something is helpful, but he's going to do it because it's going to make him feel better. It makes him feel like he's taking control of the situation in some way. I'll just put you and all this glory in a tent. I'll just keep you here on a mountain. But that's the opposite of what Jesus plans to do. One of the most beautiful verses in this passage for me um, is this it's a phrase. It's not even a sentence, but it, mar it says, as they were coming down the mountain. God's presence comes down the mountain. Jesus will not be confined to the mountaintop. Jesus 
carrying the love of God on his back, will come down the mountain to be with those close to the ground. This moment of transfiguration, transfiguration means transformation, but nothing really about Jesus is changing. Not anything in his character or essence is changing. Instead, it's a revealing. What's changing is our understanding of God and God's love. We like to think God is the one high up on the mountain, that having a spiritual experience means the clouds break open and we hear a voice. In our minds, that's what spirituality is. It's up in a tent, in a church building. It doesn't extend past that. Or does it? But here, the transfiguration, the transformation is our vision of Christ. It's a moment of clarity where the disciples realize, oh my gosh, this man really is God. It's a moment of clarity where the disciples realize God's warmth and beauty are more than they imagined. They realize that God's love will not be confined in a tent and God's presence will not be confined to the mountain because this spirituality is one not separate from the people. But unfortunately, like Peter, it can be very easy to want to, out of our fear, try to take control of a situation and box God up. Box people up. And though we live in a majority Christian nation, we often have viewed communities as those people down there from the mountaintop rather than following God's love down to the camps to see who and what is really there. My grandma Kiko was four years old and partaking in a normal day of a four-year-old, um, engaging in the strenuous tasks of playing and napping and eating way too many rice balls. I imagine the rice balls for her were warm and triangle-shaped, coated with sesame seeds and putakake seasoning. Her parents were oyster farmers that came to the U.S. by boat in the 1920s, 15 to 20 years prior to the start of World War II. She was born in a Los Angeles County hospital, making her and all of her siblings U.S. citizens by birth. Everything was normal in her four-year-old consciousness until it wasn't. First, it was curfews, enforced only for Japanese Americans. Then, it was encouraged evacuations from specific areas. And then, a month later, Japanese Americans and their families had 48 hours, 48 hours of notice to pack their bags leave their homes 
property, and small businesses. Get on trains, and in the case of my grandma, take a train to Arizona for the next three years. Their belongings that they left behind, their house that was not even in their name because they couldn't own property, um, that was supposed to be taken care of by their neighbors, when they got back, they had to buy everything back. Instead of their home in Montebello, California, instead of her room that I imagine was decorated with a trinket or two from um, belongings from Hiroshima, where their family is from, instead of that, her new room became a fenced-in, isolated, and military-guarded camp. There were many church communities and many pastors, actually, um, who wrote sermons at this time about um, how they should welcome Japanese Americans into Christian fellowship. They were compelled by a love of God that kind of challenged um, the reputation of Japanese Americans and these people that they knew who had been their neighbors for years, years prior to the war, who had raised their families in the States as Americans. Um, these churches, many churches provided places of safety for people to store their possessions while they went away. But this was not everyone. And my question for this Christian nation is how far up a mountain and separated is your spirituality if you can go to church on Sunday and decide that God's justice in the world means internment camps for 122,000 people on Monday and not for German Americans. So something else was going on here. And my question for this Christian nation is how far up a mountain and distance does your spirituality have to be if you can go to church on Sunday and decide that God's justice looks like nuclear bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki on Monday? Being a Japanese American and any Japanese person um, means that we and I have to contend with the crimes and atrocities unexcusably, that were unexcusably committed by Japan. It means I need to contend with the history of Japanese military occupation in countries like South Korea and Malaysia. To be Japanese American, though, means that I have to contend with these realities and the reality of Japanese internment. That I need to contend with these things and the lived experience of being Asian American in the US, where no one really knows if you're Japanese or Chinese or Korean. You just get lumped in the same group, the same group that gets looked at more intensely when someone says COVID-19. To be a Japanese American, and this is just one half of my family, um, just means I need to contend with a cycle and history of both dominating and dominated. 
but underneath it all, it's a history centered around fear of others and power over. There has to be another way. I'm hanging on to one of the verses in this passage. Um, it's near the end, and it's actually a verse that struck me the first time that I read this story. And it says, when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus. They saw no one except Jesus. I think what this passage offers us is another way of seeing. This is about a different kind of vision. When we are shaped by the experience of God's warmth and love and presence in the transfiguration, this changes how we operate in the world. It changes the thing that grounds and centers and guides us in our actions. If we truly let God's presence into our lives, our love will be too expansive to label people as dangerous, terrorist, illegal, communist, or enemy. If we allow God's expansive love to rest in us, we naturally find ourselves traveling down the mountain to learn about our neighbors before, yeah, to learn about them before making assumptions. If we allow the goodness of God to rest in us, we naturally find ourselves traveling down the mountain with Jesus, down to places like internment camps, where we find Jesus with the children, as Jesus normally is, and where we might see, in between bites of rice ball, Jesus says, kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let us pray. God who cannot be stored away, would your presence come down the mountain again and be with your people? Give us a better vision. Fill our hearts so deeply by your love and presence that we can't help but let it naturally spill out to our neighbors. It's not about doing better. God, transform our hearts. Give us vision. And for every heart in this room who has known and seen more harm than good in this world, or maybe even in this week, Fill us with your love again. For every person in this room who feels chaos and heaviness encamping around them, let your love release them from the things that make us feel trapped. for our fear about tomorrow, for our fear about our loved ones. Replace this fear with your love. 
appear to us again as the one who is more good, more beautiful, and more loving than we imagined. Might this guide our love in the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sustains in the name of Jesus we pray.